I sure hate to break up all these conversations, but we're here for a reason. You can always call each other after church. That's cool. But we're here this morning to worship and praise God, to acknowledge His holy presence, and maybe hear from the Lord a little bit later in the service. There's a few announcements that we have this morning. Please remember that Tuesday, December 14th, we will have our Tuesday morning prayer in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. And Sunday, I'm so excited about this. Sunday, December 19th, we will have our Christmas service at 11 a.m. Very excited. Also remember, December 19th, we will have our Christmas for Christ offering. Please see the special envelopes in the lobby. Your giving is incredibly impactful to home missions, to those that are recipients of that love gift. Please, uh, please make sure that the office, the church office has an updated address as we prepare for the end of year statements. Tax season is right around the corner. So please let us know where you live. Do you love the Lord this morning? I know that's a rhetorical question in a sense, but I just love asking it because I know that I'm feel I, I'm, I'm among a group of people that recognize the greatness of God. We are so thankful that you are here today. If you're joining us on live stream, this is not a spectator sport. Amen? These people are incredibly capable behind me. But your voice needs to be lifted in praise and worship to God this morning. Do you love the Lord this morning? Do you want to worship Him? Do you want to praise Him? Do you want to exalt Him? Let's stand to our feet this morning as our praise team begins our worship service. God bless you.
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the, the good news is that Emmanuel has come. God with us. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And His presence is in this place today. His presence is in your life and in my life. And I think that merits our praise. It merits our worship. Grace Church, for just a few moments, can we do that today? Lord, we usher ourselves into your presence with praise. We magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it beautiful to stand this time of year in the presence of God and in a sense to stand in the midst of the Christmas story, living it out in the here and now, in the present. Uh, not just a Christmas present, but the Christmas present to have God's presence with us today and to feel Him working in our lives. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. One more time, clap your hands to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, praise team, for taking us into the presence of the Lord. And I just believe that the stage has been set for God to do some amazing things here among us today before we leave out of here today. Amen. Amen. I do want to join with Brother Ben here and welcoming everybody here on campus. Aren't you glad to be on campus? It, it doesn't get old, does it? It's good to be on campus. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, welcome, welcome, welcome. I pray the service is a blessing to you. I want to say how good it is to see Pastor Wheeler here today. So glad that Brother Wheeler's in church with us today. Brother Wheeler, we miss you and your family, but we're thankful for what God is doing through your ministry in West Baton Rouge Parish. God bless you and your church. Thankful for what God is doing. Just a, a quick programming note, a quick scheduling note. I want to remind you that, or, or tell you, I think this is the first time we've mentioned it from the pulpit, but to tell you that the church office will be closed for the holiday from December 26th through January the 2nd. Uh, so unless it's an emergency uh, of some kind, we wanted to let the church know the church office will be closed that week in between Christmas and New Year. So make a note of that. One Sunday morning, the parishioners, the, the church, were exiting out of, the, out of the building and the pastor was greeting them as they left. And there was one particular man that caught the pastor's eye and he pulled him aside and he said, he said, sir, you know, it, it's, it's really time for you to join the army of the Lord. He said, we really need to see you here every Sunday. The man replied, he said, well, pastor, I am in the army of the Lord. And the pastor said, well, he said, how come we only see you on Christmas and Easter? And the man kind of got a real secretive look on his face. He, he looked around kind of suspiciously and he whispered, in a low voice, he said, well, I'm in the secret service. We don't need any secret service Christians. Paul said, this thing was not done in secret. We need to worship together. We need to be the body of Christ. We need to make it known. Praise God. And I don't think pastor would mind me telling you, we need you here on campus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If, if, if you're ready for Christmas and you know it, say amen. 
Let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 2. And we'll at least start out with a Christmas theme, and we'll see where, where God takes us from there. We'll read Luke, chapter 2, 25 through 32. This is a segment of the, the larger Christmas story that I think doesn't get quite as much attention maybe as we should give it. But at least in context of today's message, and in my mind, it is part of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And note that the Holy Ghost was upon him. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he, Simeon, took Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. It's not really a part of my message today, but he goes on to prophesy that it won't be just for the Jews, because he says it will be a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In other words, Jesus has come for everybody, bottom line. So from this text, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes from the subject, the greatest song of Christmas. Before you're seated, can we just pray one more time together that God's word would speak to our minds and our hearts. Jesus, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray today that it would find its mark in every life, in every heart, and that it would all be to the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The greatest song of Christmas. Songs are important. Throughout the Word of God, we find a myriad of events being heralded with singing, with songs. God speaks to Job rhetorically and asks him whether or not he was present at creation when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So from the very beginning, when God created and called it good, there was singing. There were songs of praise and joy being uttered. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, representing both symbolic and literal deliverance from the slavery of Egypt, captivity, the Bible tells us that Moses' sister Miriam sang a song. In fact, she, did, she led the congregation in a song of deliverance, praising in song God's mighty power to deliver and to save. So too did Deborah and Barak sing a song of praise when God delivered Israel from the evil king Sisera, Hannah of the Old Testament, in an experience that would echo another miraculous birth, sang praises to God for His divine provision and granting her the miraculous birth of a son, Samuel by name. What is the book of Psalms, if not a collection, 
a volume, actually four volumes of songs, most of which are songs of praise and worship. John, in his apocalypse, his revelation, tells us that there's coming a day where we will sing a new song. He calls it the song of the Lamb. It seems that humanity responds to divinity through the singing of songs. The miraculous, when prayers are answered, when God manifests himself in unusual and literal ways, it seems that our natural response then is to sing songs of worship and praise. Notice today and in every service, the praise team leads us in singing. Pastor tells us most Sundays before we come out to begin service, he'll tell the praise team, says, lead us into the presence of God. We do that so often through the singing of songs. I have a song to sing. Now, I'm not going to sing for you today, you understand, but I have a song in my heart. When I, when I look back over what God has done in my life, when I, when I see how good he's been to me, there, there's something on the inside that says... I have to sing praise to the Redeemer. And I've got a feeling there's people in this house that you have sung the song of deliverance. You've sung the song of mercy. You've song, sung the song of provision. There's, there's something about it in your life when you look back and say, if, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? That's a song that comes from deep within of praise and worship to our Savior. Music is absolutely, singing songs is absolutely a part of human experience. There's something hardwired in our brain. Why else do we get songs stuck in our head? Usually songs we wish were not stuck in our head. So you've ever, ever been, somebody tell you to stop whistling. You didn't even realize you were whistling a tune, but it's just stuck there. The music industry generated $23 billion of revenue last year. On songs and singing, it's because it's integral to the human experience. Singing songs, we respond to singing. It follows then, it follows then with that, with that integral uh, uh, just connection with singing and songs, it follows then, and it seems very clear that the celebration of Christmas, the celebration of the miraculous birth of Jesus would be punctuated by songs. In fact, as you well know, Christmas has a category all its own in music and singing. Christmas music is a category all its own. If I asked you today, what is your favorite Christmas song? Somebody asked me that today. Kaylin asked me in Sunday school today. He said, what's your favorite Christmas song? I said, praise the Lord, Kaylin, you have confirmed my message for today with that question. But you would have an answer more than likely ready at hand. And it would be in a separate category from your other favorite song in general. Because Christmas and singing and songs are, are so well integrated. Uh, and, and so the epic response to Christmas through song cannot be exaggerated. It's because that there's something about the songs of Christmas that ushers in the spirit of Christmas. A good Christmas song can bring back memories, can kindle the feelings of goodwill, and I hope a good Christmas song would lead you to think more deeply about the birth of the Messiah. Again, if I can reference those beautiful songs that the praise team led us in today, having us contemplate and praise God with us, born as a baby. 
this response to Christmas through singing is not a modern day contrivance. In fact, singing was a big part of the birth of Christ that original and first Christmas morning. Consider with me today briefly the song of Mary in her response of being chosen as the vessel through which the Messiah would be born. The stage had been set, the last prophet's voice had faded out some 400 years prior and there had been no word from God in all those years. And suddenly those four years of silence were broken with the miraculous appearance of an angel to a young Hebrew girl. And she finds out in that moment that not only is the prophecy going to be fulfilled in her lifetime, but it's going to be fulfilled in her life. She is going to have a tremendous role to play in this this coming of the Messiah. And she responds almost prophetically, as it were, with this epical song in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. He, uh, behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And she adds, his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. It's a remarkable response from this young Jewish girl. Because she had been given an almost impossible request that God had made of her. Yet how beautiful her surrender when she said, according to your word, O Lord, be it unto me. No question, Mary's song is one of the definitive songs of Christmas. What about the song of the angels to the shepherds? I I don't have as much time to, to spend on that setting as I would like today. But let me just say... And today for just a moment, the shepherds appeared or the angels appeared to the shepherds at night. The Bible says they were so afraid. I think I can understand why they were afraid. They were out on a quiet Judean hillside somewhere tending their sheep. And suddenly this heavenly host appears in the heavens. I think I would be afraid as well. And the Bible says that they heralded the good news about the birth of the Messiah. For unto you is born this day, they said. In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And notice, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. A Savior had been born. And that was cause for heavenly singing. And in that moment, what they were singing and saying was simply this. That after all the prophecies that had come down through time, the hope of Israel, yes, the hope of the world, now had a name. He had a body of flesh and blood. And he was on the way to fulfill his destiny as redeemer of humanity. What a song. 
What a song of Christmas. Not only was Jesus coming, but he had arrived. And salvation for humanity was now available. The song of Christmas really just says, Hallelujah, a Savior is born. And I think it's okay to rejoice over that right now. Hallelujah, a Savior is born. Yet as profound and as powerful and as definitive as these songs are, they're important. Uh, Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without them. They are not the greatest songs of the nativity. The greatest song of the nativity was sung some 40 days after Jesus' birth. It's one of the most important yet overlooked by, uh, components of the story, and it was sung by a man we really don't know a whole lot about. Simeon is one of the most enigmatic characters in this whole story. I find him to be one of the most fascinating characters of the whole story, probably for that reason, simply because there's so much mystery surrounding him. We don't know a lot about him. Many have speculated. Some say maybe he was a rabbi. Others, maybe he was a doctor of the law. Some say maybe he was a member of the Sanhedrin, some sort of important religious leader or figure. But he, what, he, what he absolutely was, was a metaphor of the old ritual law colliding with the new covenant of grace. And it happened right in the temple, which makes it even more profound. We do know about Simeon that he had been promised that he would not see death until his eyes beheld the Messiah. We know from Scripture that the Holy Ghost was on him. We read that and that he had been waiting much of his life for that moment when his eyes would see Jesus. And if you follow the story by divine appointment, in a God moment of God moments, Simeon steps into the story, his path miraculously intersecting the paths of that new baby and those new parents at just the right time and place in the temple. Mary and Joseph had made one trip to the temple already eight days after Jesus was born. And then they had come back after the time of Mary's purification 40 days later for this ritual of dedicating the firstborn, giving two turtle doves of offering, paying the price of dedication and redemption of their firstborn as prescribed in the Levitical law. And there he is, there's Simeon in that moment and the Holy Ghost comes upon him and he realizes that the promise has been fulfilled in his, in his life and he takes that baby in his arms and he sees Jesus. His eyes gaze upon the Messiah and he responds in song. Now, the scripture doesn't say it's a song, so I just want to go ahead and be honest with you right there. But it's traditional that it was a song. We know from the earliest times, the earliest church sang it as a song, and we know that it has the, the, the original has the structure of Hebrew song, Hebrew poetry. And this is what he's saying upon, upon gazing upon Jesus. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. This song of Simeon's was the greatest song 
of Christmas. Because he said, I have seen Jesus for myself. My eyes have seen salvation. And I have had a personal encounter with the God of the universe. Simeon's song says he's not just a baby in a manger. He's not just a song that the angels sang. He's not just a story that the shepherds are running around town telling about. But he's in my arms and I am seeing him with my eyes. Simeon's song says that Jesus is a personal Savior and that he does fulfill his promise for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Because he is a personal God. The consummate song of Christmas says that Jesus has come for you and he's come for me and we can experience him for ourselves. Like Simeon, there's something about catching a vision of Jesus that that brings about true life change. It brings about true peace, ultimate contentment. When you see Jesus for yourself, everything changes. I want to tell you today, we've we've alluded to it, the the praise team has sung about it, but Jesus is not just a prophecy from the pages of history, nor is He a Messiah that has come for someone else, for them, whoever they are. He didn't come to save everybody else in the world except you. Far from the contrary, or far from it, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He came for you. He came for you to see Him for yourself. He wants to insert Himself into your life. So today I will challenge you, if your vision of Jesus has grown dim, let me ask you, when is the last time you saw Him in all the fullness of His glory? When is the last time that you caught a glimpse of His Spirit and and turned your eyes upon Him and really saw who He is in your life and what He wants to do for you? The old song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. The things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. There's just something about seeing Jesus that makes all the rest fade away. The trouble, the problems, the issues, the hurts, the hang-ups. If you catch a glimpse of Jesus, if you really see Him in your life, all of that has a way of becoming dim. It's interesting to note That when Simeon left that encounter with Jesus, walked out of the temple that day, the Jews were still under Roman law and under Roman rule. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were still at odds with one another. They weren't getting along. Simeon's bank account didn't suddenly fill up with money. And he wasn't granted some sort of immortality that he would never see death or that his body would never break down. None of that kind of stuff happened upon seeing Jesus. But look at what a change happened in Simeon's life. We know from his response. You can feel the emotion. 
You can sense the perfection of the moment. And you can understand the depth of emotion and peace that Simeon walked out of that encounter with. That regardless of whatever happens in my life, I have seen Jesus and I'll never be the same. In fact, he said, I'm ready to go now. The the consummate moment in my life has come to pass. So I want to take a moment today and encourage you to stop and receive a fresh vision of Jesus, who He is in your life. And I promise you that that in this Christmas season, with with all that, that comes with it, that if you can catch a fresh vision of Jesus in your life, I promise you that your heart will once again thrill at His presence and your soul will again thrill to hear His voice in your life. And you will find that everything you need is in Him with a glimpse of who Jesus is. There's just something about seeing Jesus. Where there is no vision, people perish. I think a lot of times our issue is is that we've lost sight of Jesus. But where vision is granted, where we do catch fresh vision of Jesus, then there's revelation, there's mercy, there's life-transforming and life-giving power. Notice the effect Jesus had on people all throughout His life, all throughout His ministry. When people saw Him, they were changed. It it ushered in transformation and life-giving power. I'm fascinated at, at His call to the disciples and not only how they responded, but how they reflected on it years after the fact. John, that beloved disciple, now an elder, sits down to write a letter to the church. His time is short. doesn't have a whole lot of life left to live. And so he's reflecting, he's writing, he's, he's, he's given the most important instructions to the church that he can give. And what he's compelled to write doesn't remind us that he was called to be one of the twelve. He doesn't point out that in being one of the twelve, John himself was in the inner circle of three nor that being in the inner circle of three, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. What he remembers most is that which was from the beginning, which our eyes have seen. Sitting down to write his gospel, he begins his account by saying, we beheld his glory. There was just something about seeing Jesus for John, these other disciples, that made a lifelong and lasting impact on their life. That at the end of his life, seeing Jesus had made that much of an impression, and it's what he remembered most. Simon Peter, very much the similar testimony. That most well-known of disciples would also write letters to the church, also towards the end of his life. He didn't tell of walking on the water. He didn't remind his readers that it was was to him that the revelation of who Jesus is was given. He thought it most important to say we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables, Peter said. He wasn't a figment of our imagination, but we saw him. 
And this is the beauty of the whole thing. I don't read on the, all the accounts of the calling of the disciples. I look back through some of them this weekend. I don't see where any of them had any difficulty in leaving the life they had and following Jesus. It, it just was almost, the way I read it, was just a natural response. That when Jesus called them, they looked up and saw him and just left their nets and followed left their tax collecting and followed, whatever it was. It just, just something about seeing Jesus compelled them with reckless abandon to follow him. Again, I'll tell you, when we struggle in our walk with God, when we have difficulty hearing from him, when we, when we lose our way and become discouraged, I'm going to tell you, it mostly has to do with losing sight of who Jesus is in our lives. I want you to see Jesus again today. This Christmas season, I want you to catch a glimpse of who He is. I want you to experience the life change that comes with bringing everything to His feet and saying, Jesus, I want to see you again for who you really are. It must have been, it really must have been something to see Jesus. Because John again tells us about Certain Gentiles, outsiders in that day and in that time frame and in that, in that context. They came to the disciples, these Greeks, uh, and said, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Compelled to see him and to see the life change that he brings. So I want to tell you again, church, I want you to see Jesus and experience all the life change that comes with it. I received the Holy Ghost as a young boy, nine years old. And, you know, probably like most little boys, I received the Holy, or most apostolic little boys, received the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name. And then just kind of went along my little boy life, you know, I Felt like I had been born into the kingdom and my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I was good to go. And as I continued to grow up, became a teenager, somewhere, you know, 14, 15 years old, hearing good preaching every Sunday, going to youth camp, um, being stirred, feeling the presence of God. I, I, I longed to what we would call be refilled with the Holy Ghost or, or you know, beyond receiving the Holy Ghost as a child. I, I was becoming an adult and I wanted to have a, a fresh experience with Jesus, a new experience with Jesus. And so we went to senior camp that year again, 14, 15 years old. And we were in one of the day sessions and, and the guy felt like he was talking right to me. He said, he said I, I just feel like there's some of you here today that that uh, you, 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 it's been a long time since you talked in tongues. It's been a long time since you had experience with Jesus. And, and he said, now, if, so, if, so if, you, if that's you today, I want you to stand up and come to the front. Well, I, uh, I, it was me, and God had been talking to my heart. So I stood up and went to the front. I was relieved to know that I was not the only young, apostolic young person on that campground that needed the same experience. I think probably at least half of the campground was half backslid, and we all needed a good praying back through anyway. So. But at the time, I was afraid I was going to be the only one. Now I know better. So this is what he did. I, I, I don't remember who the, who the minister was. Um, I, I think I do, but I, I won't call his name in case I'm wrong. 
I don't want to falsely accuse anybody, but uh, no, I'm teasing. He calls us up front, and uh, he says, this is what I want you to do. He said, you, you, you've, you've had the Holy Ghost, you have the Holy Ghost, but you're wanting a, a fresh touch from God. You need a new experience. He says, this is what I want you to do. So I want you to raise your hands and begin worshiping God. And get this, he said, I want you to see Jesus in your mind, in all of his glory and power. He said, maybe you could imagine him coming out of the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, just being just all that power and glory of God in a resurrected body. Maybe you could see him in your mind's eye on the throne in heaven and all the authority that comes with being exalted as God. But whatever it looks like for you in your mind's eye, picture Jesus and begin worshiping him. And so that's what we did. You know, 50 of us up there in the front raised our hands and began worshiping God. And remember, the goal was to pray back through to the Holy Ghost to be renewed and refreshed in the Spirit. And so he comes down the line hanging on, uh, laying hands on people. And this, this is where I said I didn't want to falsely accuse anybody. He lays hands on me and says, see there, you're talking in tongues. And I'm going, man, this sounds an awful lot like English to me. Plus... I thought, you know, get, the way I remember getting the Holy Ghost at nine, it was a much more powerful experience than this. Wasn't a whole lot happening is what I'm saying. Maybe some of the other folks got what they needed, but it didn't work for me. We went out of that session directly to the next session, which was the drama. And I don't remember anything about the drama that day. I mean, this has been a long time ago. You can see how old I am here. I was 14 or 15 years old. And so he, we, we, they, they did the drama, had the altar service, and I was standing by myself. I don't remember being with a group of anybody, just kind of off by myself. And I thought, you know, I still really would like to receive the Holy Ghost again, get refreshed and refilled. Um, we're in the presence of God. What the, the guys' instructions from before were pretty good. Seemed like it made sense to me. I'm going to try it again by myself. And so I pictured Jesus... Re, uh, resurrecting out of the tomb. In my mind, I saw him, what it would look like if I was there, seeing him resurrected on Resurrection Sunday, coming out of the grave, and just, I mean, light coming out of the tomb, and power coming out of the tomb, and angels everywhere, and the ground shaking, and the power of God, seeing Jesus in all of his majesty. And I just began to worship him, praise him, and lift him up, and, and tell him how much I loved him, praise him for his power and majesty. And, and for a few minutes, not a whole lot was happening. But I just kept going. I thought, man, I, I, don't, I don't really know what else to do. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep up with it. And it wasn't long before all of a sudden something started stirring in my life. And all of a sudden I began to feel the presence of God. And then all of a sudden I wasn't speaking in English anymore because God was speaking through me as the Holy Ghost refilled my life. And as I began to talk in a heavenly language that it had been a long, long time since I spoke. I'm telling you, when you catch a glimpse of who Jesus is, it changes everything. The Spirit starts moving in your life. Things start getting better. He starts revealing himself to you again. It's the power of seeing Jesus in your life. Now, that's not... Obviously, that's very powerful and very real. There's nothing funny about it. But if there was one thing funny about it, I'll tell you what it was. I'm having this Holy Ghost moment 
the power of God's on me. I'm speaking in tongues for the first time in like 30 years or something. And I'm having, I'm just lost in the spirit. And all of a sudden, some guy comes over and lays hands on me. And I'm like, dude, where were you 20 minutes ago when I was trying to break through? Now you come and lay hands on me. And get, you're getting the credit, you know. For... But this is what I want you to know. Yes, I envisioned what it would be like to see Jesus in my mind's eye. But as the Holy Ghost began to move in my life, as I began to be refilled and refreshed with the power of God, all of a sudden it wasn't in my mind's eye anymore, but in the Spirit I caught a fresh vision of who Jesus is. And I want you to know my life has never been the same since that moment. I don't have to wonder if God is real because I've seen Him. I'm not living my life by a rule book. I'm living my life because I've seen Jesus and it changed me. I'm not have to worry about if God's mercy is for me because I've seen Jesus. I don't have to worry about if he cares about me because I've seen Jesus. I don't have to worry about if I'm going to wake up tomorrow living for him because I've seen Jesus. Stand with me today and let's clap our hands to Jesus all over the building. Would you stand? Praise team, would you come? Praise team, would you come? It changes everything, I promise you. Just like Simeon, it, it may not make everything go away. It's not a magic wand, I don't mean that. It may not make your troubles go away. But I promise you, it will give you a peace. It will give you a comfort and a joy and an understanding about life and about God's role in your life that you've never experienced before. So if you're here today, and it's been a long time since you felt that kind of peace. It's been a long time since you felt that kind of joy. You need a fresh vision of who Jesus is. <clears throat> a little girl was trying to go to sleep in the dark. She was scared. And so she rushed into her, rushed into her parents' bedroom, begging them to let her sleep with them. And of course they refused. Instead they prayed for her and sent her back to her room and told her, said, remember, God is with you. And so she went back to her room, tried to sleep, same thing, got scared of the dark, went back in her parents' room. They prayed with her, said, remember, God is with you. And sent her back to her room. The third time she couldn't go to sleep, comes back to her parents. This time they're a little frustrated, starting to get a little old. They said, didn't we tell you that God is with you? And she said, yeah, you did. But I need a God with skin on him. And I want you to know today we have a God with skin on him. And you can see him, not physically. No, he ascended, he's, he's in heaven, he's coming again. But you can see Jesus again in your life. And that is the greatest song of Christmas, is that he's personal to you. He's personal to me. And he wants to reveal himself to you. It's the message of Christmas. It's the song of Christmas that God has come, but he's come on a personal level. 
So as they play and sing today, as they, as, they, as they lead us again into his presence, I'm asking everybody to come to the front. I'm asking you to come down and say, Jesus, maybe you're like me at youth camp at 15. Say, Jesus, I'm just going to picture you in all your glory, in all your might, and I want you to reveal yourself to me again. Lord, I've got a lot of troubles. I've got a lot of things that I, that I need to work through, Lord, but if I could just see you, if I could just press through, Lord, to your presence, I want a fresh glimpse of you. Would you do that, Grace Church? Would you come on down every Everybody, come on, everybody. You got a few minutes today that we can, we're a little early. We can worship God for a few moments. We can have a fresh encounter with Jesus all over again. Come, if you would, praise team, sing for us. God bless you today, Grace Church, in Jesus' name. Yeah.